Welcome to episode 167 of the Various and Sunday podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined live from the Vault Studio, the beautiful campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary, by my good friend, my colleague, my co-host, and the man who is still under the weather, John Scott Sloat. It feels like a saga that will never end. <laughs> Yeah, it's like it's like the extended monsoon season or the rainy season. Yeah, yeah. I actually went to the doctor this morning to to get some, you know, supercharged stuff to yeah. to knock it out. We'll see what happens. Stand by. Yeah, hopefully next week the dulcet tones of your baritone voice will be back. We'll see. We'll yeah. see. Um somebody did comment to me, "Boy, your voice is great for radio right now." <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Okay. All right. Well. Because I, I still don't think the voice is back to normal fully yet. It's not. It's close though. Yeah. It's, it's definitely close. better than it has been. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, if you'd like to reach out and uh, comment on the quality of John's voice, you can find us on Twitter at mm. VNSPod. You can email the show, variousandsundrypodcast at gmail.com. We're on Facebook. We're on YouTube. And so we would love for you to leave us a glowing five-star rating and a review. Absolutely. All right, John, you ready to dive into some sports? Sure. Okay. So as we record today, it's Monday, which means the brackets were released yesterday. Yeah. March Madness is here. And upon us. Yes. So did you watch any of the basketball over championship weekend? No. I caught some highlights. I was okay. paying attention to some box scores. Other than that, nah. Okay. Yeah, it's always hard to know what to do with what you see on championship weekend. Because mm-hmm. some teams get hot and you're like, oh my gosh, they're on a roll. And then they lose in the first round. And you're like, I look like an idiot now because I thought this team that you know ran through the conference tournament – now plays a dud and they're out. So always hard to know what to make of that. But um, I, I watched a good bit of the Big Ten tournament. And yeah, Purdue walked out. They did, though Ohio State made a surprising run to get to the semifinals. Who'd they, who'd they ultimately lose to? Purdue in Purdue. the semis. Okay. But they had to win. So they, they won Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday just to get to the semifinals on Saturday. And they just ran out of gas. And yeah. Purdue's really good. But um, I, I had no realistic expectation that they would do anything. So it was kind of fun to watch them, not thinking that they were going to – they, they would have had to win the whole conference tournament to get in to the uh, NCAA yeah. tournament. And that wasn't going to happen. I mean, at the end of the day, they just had a pretty poor pretty poor season in general. Well, the, it was it – was, they – they were 10 and 3 and then they went a stretch where they lost 14 of 15 games which is mind-boggling given the talent they have on that team yep but they figured things out at the end of the year won two of their last three regular season games then won three games in the Big 10 tournament uh so i i think you know we'll see how that translates to next year but in any case um have you filled out your bracket yet no not yet. Okay, I haven't either. You haven't even signed up for our bracket challenge. I yet. haven't. No. Would you like to tell the audience how they can do that and get ahead of me? Well, I, there are already fourteen people ahead of you. Okay, um, well, just so you're aware. That's fine. Uh, there, there, there's no 
competition for signing up first? It just matters that you're done before the tournament starts? Um, well, they can go into the show notes for last week's episode or today's episode. Okay. And click the link, sign up, yeah. fill out a bracket. Yeah. And uh, first place will get a signed copy of one of your books. One of my books. Signed by you. Yes. Uh, just I to be did, clear. I did invite my fantasy baseball group yesterday. Okay. I'm and, going to invite our life group, as, my life group as well. And I mentioned that they would get a free book signed by you. And then they started throwing out what books they would like to have you sign for them. Okay. Uh, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Slayer was I on see. there. I see. Uh, so they went beyond books I've actually written. That's right. I see. Uh, Green Eggs and Ham Classic. made an appearance. Seems, yeah. Uh, Pride and Prejudice was on there. One of my wife's favorites. Yeah. Um, those are the three that stick out. Okay. Yeah. So just to clarify, it will be a book that I myself have written. And it's not the published dissertation. Yeah. I, I think I might have one or two copies left of that. And How about if I win? You <laughs> sign a copy of the dissertation and give Maybe. it to me. I guess the question is, what do I get if I win? Not that that's going to happen. But I mean – Goodness gracious. What do I get? I have no idea. Yeah. I, I have no good answers. I don't either. I, I guess just bragging rights. But you should get something if you win. Yeah. We'll just take it out of our uh, our, our extensive uh, various and sundry bank account yeah. to uh, to fund that little purchase there. I have thought about getting a business credit card with various and sundry on it <laughs> because it's a – like the business credit card game is, yeah. is really just a big joke. OK. Like you don't have to have a business. But you can put a business on the credit card. I would put various and sundry podcast on there. Let's get let's get our people on that. I I may, I may do it in the next year. <laughs> yeah, as long as it doesn't affect your credit score. I you mean, do not have to have a company that actually exists to get a business credit card. Okay. Well, that that sounds like a terrible loophole. Um, all right. So uh, yes, make sure you sign up in the uh, look for the show notes. The information's there. If you participated last year, you should have gotten an email inviting you to yep. come back this year. Yep. So that's right. I'll send out another one of those probably this afternoon. And we should throw yeah. up throw it up on uh, social media as well. We probably should. Okay. Um, okay. So let's talk a little NBA. Uh, we're getting close to the end of the season, regular season towards yep. the playoffs. I haven't checked the standings. Uh, and I caught a little bit of the Knicks-Lakers game last night. Who ended up winning that? I went to bed at the end of the third quarter. Did the Knicks end up winning that? I believe the Knicks lost that. Okay. Right. I can check, though. Just curious. Um, no, the Knicks won that game. Oh. The Knicks won that game. Okay. They don't have their point guard Jalen Brunson right now. And so right. they've been on a bit of a skid recently. Are they still in fifth? Um, let me pull up the standings here real. I'm just curious if they're still on that collision course for a first round matchup with the Cleveland Cavaliers. With the, with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, no, they've dropped back to sixth at this point. Oh. So uh, the Nets are 39 and 29. The Knicks have played are 40 and 30. So they played two more games. Okay. But we think the Nets are probably going to slide, right? I figure they will. Unless like getting rid of a couple of people made them better. Yeah, could be. Could be. Um, and then what about uh, – so spring training has basically come to a stop. Is that right? Or, no, it's, or, it's or, still going on. OK. So only the players participating in the uh, World Baseball Classic. I love that you had to look at your notes to get the World Baseball Classic yeah, right. I, yeah, I, it's just not on my radar. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, so it tends to be uh, – 
young pitchers or young players that teams don't want to let go to the WBC mm-hmm. or players that are injury prone, they don't want them going full tilt at the WBC. Okay. Gotcha. So it tends to be those guys. Give some younger players a little bit more run. Uh, so like the Mets have some pretty high-end talent in their AAA team. And so those young guys are getting a lot of play right now where normally some of their players would be uh, taking some of those spots. And they're not because they're at the WBC. Okay. United States got stomped by Mexico yesterday. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you how the U.S. is doing. Oh, they're one and one. So they must have. I saw that they play. They were playing uh, Great Britain. Yeah, they, did they, we beat them? We we beat Great Britain on a Kyle Schwarber home run. Okay, I don't know if you know Kyle Schwarber, uh, former Cub, right? Former Cub with the Phillies now, um, and he just the dude just hits bombs. That's what okay. he does. Hits dingers. That's what he yeah. does. Okay. Yeah, it's just it's not on my radar, especially with. March Madness ramping up just it, – it's um, way off my radar. Japan is a lot of fun to watch. OK. They have a fun squad. I'd expect Japan to be good. I mean baseball – baseball's a big deal in Japan. Yeah. What's funny is uh, the United States exports some of their like probably like ascending slash B-level players to some of these other countries. OK. Like um, Matt – do you remember Matt Harvey? Uh, pitcher, right? Pitcher for the Mets was kind of coming up, had a nasty injury, and he just he just lost it all. He was he is still pitching in the major leagues, but uh, grew up in Connecticut. But his family's Italian, and so he is playing for Italy. Okay. Uh, one of my favorite named MLB players right now is a Cardinals outfielder, and he's an ascending guy currently, Lars Newtbar. <laughs> <laughs> Guess what country Lars Newtbar is playing for? Sweden, Japan. Okay, that makes. I believe no his sense, yes. mother or grandmother is Japanese. I see. So he is playing for Japan. <laughs> Lars Newtbar. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I didn't know about that. We could have snuck him into the this day in sports history. I don't know for what, but in any case, Lars um, Newtbar. Lars Newtbar. And he's he's just an American dude. Grew up in. I think Southern California, okay. and uh, his dad's a baseball coach, and hmm. but he's he's in Tokyo right now playing for Japan. All right. <laughs> yes, um, and we should before we wrap up the sports segment, we should talk about Grace basketball. We should, yeah. So they, uh, we mentioned last uh, last episode that they were um, they had made the. NAIA National Tournament as a one seed and we're hosting one of the initial pods. They ended up winning that uh, pod mm-hmm. to advance to the Sweet 16. Uh, great game on the, the – so they won their first game in, in a rel- very comfortably. But then the second game was a much tougher matchup. It's Madonna, Madonna right? Madonna, yes. Yes. I had uh, – <laughs> Do you know anything about that school? Madonna? I, I think it's in Kentucky and I see. Oh, you see, I no, thought no, it was in Michigan. Michigan. It is in Michigan. Okay. Right? It's in Michigan. Okay. Uh, and I'm assuming it's Catholic. Oh, yeah, I suppose it would be. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, the funny thing is uh, this uh, acquaintance of ours was sitting behind us at the game and he was making running jokes based on Madonna song titles throughout mm. the game. Some of which you really can't repeat on a family-friendly uh, yeah. <laughs> radio. Program. You know we're in a minivan somewhere with kids in the background. <laughs> yeah. 
So, um, but but they were really good. They they forced Grace to play hard, and uh, and come away with a hard fought victory. So now, Grace advances to the uh, Sweet Sixteen in Kansas City, and they play to. Well, when this drops, it'll be that afternoon. They play yes. at four o'clock. Yes. So three hours after this drops. Yes, that's right. Uh, and they play a school from um, from Iowa, something Hardman. Okay. Um, so you know, I, they're one of the one seeds. I think you know they could they could lose that Sweet Sixteen game, or they could make a run. Yeah. And um, we'll see how that turns out. But uh, it's a fun team to watch. Mm-hmm. They have skill all around, and they've got a dominant big player, Elijah Malone, who six ten, and I think we list him at three. Do we list him in the threes? I was going to say two eighty five. Three. I was going to say two eighty. Some, somewhere I, I don't know. He's big. He's a big dude and strong, and nobody can guard and a- him. Athletic as yeah, well. Absolutely. Uh, also can shoot the three. So he's he's a uh, he's a very skilled player, but um, we'll see. It'd be great to see that see them advance uh, if possible. But uh, the last time that Grace won a an NAIA national championship, nineteen ninety two. Really? Yeah. yeah, that's right. It was ninety two. So it's been it's been uh, thirty one years. years. Yeah, Coach K. One of the one of the best is one one of the best things is I don't think we have very many seniors on that team either. Yes, that's correct. Though again, we list guys with COVID eligibility. So, you know, um, like Who Frank knows? Frankie Davidson, he's a junior by eligibility. Um, but uh, I think this might be his last year. Oh, really? Yeah, I think. So anyway, I was thinking it was only his third year. So yeah, I think I think the team will be a little different next year. But still, we're so deep. Uh, Jake Wadding is a senior as well, okay. even though he might be listed as a junior. Um, I'm pretty sure this is his fourth year in the program. Okay. So who knows what guys stick around to do. for seminary, guys? Yeah, Come absolutely. On. We have these blended programs that uh, they should jump on board. Yeah, right? yeah, or just you know get a year of seminary under your belt. Yeah, take Greek with me. Or, or start an MBA program. Do something. Yeah, come on, boys. Come on. Think it through. Think it through. All right, John, you ready to move on? Sure. Today, we are talking about an article on the Gospel Coalition by a guy named Samuel James. You ever read any of his stuff before? I don't think so. Okay. He, he, he writes a decent bit of opinion, a uh, number of opinion pieces um, but uh, he wrote an article that's uh, – let me get the title of it correct here. So it's called Scroll With Me in Your Bibles, How Bible Apps Are Changing Today's Christians. So that caught my attention. And um, it's essentially – it's kind of a review of a book by John Dyer. And that book is entitled – People of the Screen, How Evangelicals Created the Digital Bible and How It Shapes Their Reading of Scripture. And do we do we have any idea who John Dyer is? Yeah. He's a uh, – he's actually an assistant prophet Dallas. OK. And – Dallas Theological yes. Seminary. And um, you probably don't know this. You're familiar with the website bestcommentaries.com. 
Yeah, of course. He built that website. Oh, really? Yes. I did not know that. Yeah. So he is uh, he is the producer of that. So uh, he, this book is actually published by Oxford University Press. So this is deep dive research. This is not some little fluff piece. This is uh, you know academic, but it, my guess is it's still relatively readable because mm-hmm. um, I've read one other of John Dyer's books, and he has a, a good re- writing style that's easily uh, digestible, hmm. but. Um, so I saw this article and I thought um, this actually ties in with something that I've been thinking about in terms of more specific to um, in church. How many people are uh, reading the text off of digital devices versus out of print copies of scripture? Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've ever kind of looked around at our church to see what what you think the numbers are. Would you have a guess? At our church? Yeah. 70-30 print Bibles? You think 70-30? Is that is that a fair or were you thinking more of a more of an even split? I probably would have gone a little bit lower. 60-40? 60-40 okay. maybe. What do you think it is in chapel here at Grace? Oh, in chapel? 90-10. 90 toward – 90 towards digital, yeah. 10 towards print. That would be my sense as well. Yeah. Very few print Bibles in chapel. Yeah. So Even sometimes from the speakers. You know, sometimes those speakers go up there with their iPads. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Uh, so anyway, um, let's talk a little bit about this article and it obviously is based on the book. Now, I, in full disclosure, haven't read the book. I know John hasn't read the book. So really um, – <laughs> I'm offended by that assumption, but I, it is I correct. I sent you the article <laughs> yesterday. There's no way you read the book. <laughs> so, um, yeah, let's uh, let's kind of dive in. What were some of your um, initial thoughts on this article? Um, prob- probably the overarching reflection I had coming out of reading this article. Uh, is I thought a lot about Neil Postman and his Amusing Ourselves to Death. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're not familiar with the thesis of Neil Postman's book, Assuming Ourselves to Death, when did that come out? Amusing Ourselves. Yeah, what did I say? Assuming Ourselves to Death. Amusing Ourselves to Death. <laughs> Assuming Ourselves to Death. It might be another phenomenon in general. Uh, but uh, his thesis of that book, and that came out what? Early 80s, I think. Yeah, I was, I was going to say 85. But yeah, or sometime in the in the early 1980s, uh, he said that the medium through which you communicate communicates a message itself. Yeah. So if you have a written paper or, or, or book, mm-hmm. it communicates something. Yeah. If you have – and one of his big moments is he talks about the television and what video communication communicates. Mm-hmm. And it communicates entertainment. Yeah. And he goes through how that's changing uh, – uh, Politics, religion, yeah. you know, you know, Neil Postman does this in, in the 1980s. Yeah, pre-internet uh, age. Pre-internet, uh, and so it, it it caused me to go like, what what does the phone app? What does uh, what does this screen communicate yeah. to us? So so I think that was my main reflection, and um, I, I thought his line about the internet it exists for content was was a. Uh, was really good as well. But yeah, that that's kind of what I came in reflecting about following reading this article. How about okay. yourself? 
Yeah, I think um, I I think part of the reason I gravitated towards this article is that it it seems to put some more concrete um, data behind something that I um, that I suspected, uh, and um, I I think that comes out in some of the some of the qu- uh, quotes I've pulled out of here. But um, I think it would be good to maybe hit some of these highlights, then maybe use them as springboard for further conversation. Um, so uh, the book itself by Dyer is uh, about Christian uh, about a Christian technology, in other words, a Bible, digital Bibles, sure, and the particular beliefs and behaviors that make it plausible for a particular people. So it's not just data, how many people use Bible apps, how many don't, how many use digital Bibles, how many don't kind of stuff. There's that in there apparently. But uh, he's trying to get at also uh, just what what are some of the assumptions behind it? What effect is it having on the church? Um, And he coins this interesting term. uh, He refers to evangelicals as hopeful entrepreneurial pragmatism, meaning that's their approach to describe uh, evangelicals' attitude towards technology—that's most common. I thought that was a helpful phrase. Oh yeah, I, th- I thought that phrase was really helpful. It was one of the things I highlighted in the article. Yeah. So, uh, how would you unpack that from what you gathered of the article? Um, It's—I I would say as evangelicals approached technology, uh, whether it's the app, whether it's um, e- even uh, different Bible softwares. There's a eagerness and a creativity to use it in practical ways to make it useful to other people. Yeah. That, that's how I read that. Yeah, I think that's very true. Uh, and I think that absolutely captures the, the most common approach towards technology that mm-hmm. evangelicals tend to have, that there's a, uh, an optimism about its benefits and, and sometimes as well a recognition of its uh, – dangers or detriments. It's dark sides. Yeah. But um, the entrepreneurial piece is, is, I think, important there as well in terms of the creativity involved and how can we use this technology to advance the gospel. Mm-hmm. And I, I would think all of us would say at some level, yes, that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, so the challenge, of course, is with the pragmatism piece that if you don't necessarily fully think through the uh, implications, the effects, that sort of thing that you can actually unintentionally uh, lead to some harmful effects of technology. And I think that's part of what this book seems to be getting at, at least at one level. Um, one of the things that the article talks about, it, it tries to use this uh, uh, category, I guess is the right term for it, of what, what he calls engagement. I thought that was such a helpful – I thought that paragraph was so helpful. Yes. Um, where he talks about the term engagement. Yeah. What does it mean to engage the Bible? Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm actually hearing that word connected to churches these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I remember a conversation with a pastor a while back and it was – you know, the question was how many attenders and how many members do you have at a church? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this pastor responded, I don't ask that question anymore. I ask how many engagements do I have at a local church? 
mm-hmm. at his local church. And we were like, how do you define engagement? His engagement was, well, how many guys show up to play basketball on Wednesday night? Yep. Or how many, how many people show up to do X, Y, Z at our church who are never going to attend a Sunday gathering? And I was just – and I think that, that breakdown mm-hmm. of like, oh, that – so when we ask you the size of your church, you're you're counting all those people yeah. in that as well. And it's like that's not a good representation of who is actually in your church. No. And and when it's applied to um, technology like this, like Bible software apps and things like that, um, he makes the point that um, how different that term is engage compared to the terms that Scripture itself uses about oh, yeah. itself in terms of reading, meditating – memorizing. Those are much more specific. In- Those are much more in-depth terms. Yes. And even the idea of engagement, they, they point out that, well, heck, you know, if you that that's really language borrowed from social media platforms, right? Yes, absolutely. You know, how many how many uh, engagements did this tweet get or this Facebook mm-hmm. post get? And it's basically how many people read it, like ran their eyes across it. It has no uh, connection to whether they actually had any connection with the content, whether they even care about it. You know, I mean, goodness, when you think about the time you waste scrolling through social media, well, I guess I engaged all those posts. I don't remember 98% of them yeah. after I've scrolled past it on my on my phone. Well, and I think that comes back to the medium is the message. Yeah. Uh, I think as you're – Working your way through social media or through through a phone app, it's meant to get those quote engagements, mm-hmm. uh, and and does not have the deep reflective, uh, thoughtful nature that sort of old school meditation memorization, yeah, uh, deep study really has with it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, there's a couple of different interesting uh, numbers in here, so. Uh, the uh, consu- this is a quote now from the article. Uh, the Consumer's Dyer interviews give us uh, some hints. According to Dyer's survey, 45% of evangelicals use their phones to read scripture devotionally. That number drops to 22% when the activity is long reading, 17.3% for memorization, and only 6% for study. So there's a decline. The, the the clear impression given is the deeper dive you go, the less people use the use a Bible app for it. Mm-hmm. Is the implication then the opposite is true, right? There, for study, they're more printed Bibles. Yes. For you know, yes. Um, and then the, this was interesting. This ties into something we've seen here at Grace as well, given some of the use of digital uh, textbooks. Uh, Dyer administered a Bible comprehension assessment to two groups of evangelical readers, one reading from a printed Bible and one reading from a phone's Bible app. Comprehension was noticeably lower among the digital group. After the reading assignment, 44% of the print group reported feeling encouraged and 16% reported feeling confused. These stats were very different among the digital group. 36.7% felt encouraged. So that's a drop of 
eight, seven, eight yeah. While thirty percent felt confused, so that's an increase then in the confusion rate 14. of fourteen points. Uh, Dyer observes that the screen appears to induce a mood that is more confused and less spiritually nourished than the than that induced by print Bibles. Now, you and I, uh, even teaching here, have noticed that this outside of the Bible mm-hmm. when it comes to students and what form of textbook they have. So our institution has a um, an arrangement where students get free, free or sort of free, not really free, but they get textbook rentals yep. from a provider that we uh, that we hire at Grace. And a large number of students receive digital copies of those textbooks, not hard copies. And um, as professors, we have noticed that comprehension and retention is noticeably worse mm-hmm. with students who have digital versus students who have print copies. That's uh, not even talking about Bible. That's just talking about general textbooks. Yeah, for my so. <laughs> This is a diff- this might be another issue entirely. Um, I was noticing that with my church history class, but I was noticing the opposite. So I would have a quiz over the reading. It was an open book quiz, but it was limited to ten minutes. So they had to do the reading in order to understand it. Uh-huh. Uh, my students who had digital copies were acing yeah. all of my tests. Control F. Control F. Exactly, <laughs> and they were finding exactly what I was looking for. Yeah. Uh, students who had the print were just dying, uh, sh- struggling, <laughs> struggling. Yeah, um, I believe that. So uh, I, I actually required the textbook company to give them all print versions because of, because of that issue, and they could not r- remove the Control F function from the uh, the, mm-hmm. the digital copy. Yeah. Um, but when I did paper assignments, I found the students that got – when I did paper quizzes, yeah. I found students that had uh, digital copies did worse. Yeah, that's very believable to me. Um, so, yeah, I think um, you know, when it comes to this article surfacing a, uh, um, a, a real issue, um, I, I, my, my sense too has been – I always wonder about part of the value of a print Bible is the differentness of it than what than everything else I use on my phone, mm-hmm. right? You know, so I use my phone uh, for obviously for communicating, checking email, and checking social media. Those are the primary things I'm using my phone for. But it's it it's all on the same screen. And I'm often flipping back and forth between, you know, oh, I was on Twitter. I'm going to check email. Oh, got a text. Got to respond to that. Yeah. And so there's this sort of very um, uh, temporary nature to whatever's on the screen. There's nothing permanent about it. Part of what I love about a print Bible is its permanence, Mm -hmm. its fixedness, that it's different from whatever else is on my screen. And it helps, in my mind, I think, to make it stand out as this is something special. This is something unique. This is something that is different from 
social media, email, text, etc. And so I, I would, I've actually had a conversation with our pastor about us encouraging people to bring Bibles to church, hmm. and even just some of the dynamics of, um, do you put the text up on the screen? And if you do, does that discourage people from actually having a copy of Scripture in front of them? Yeah, I, I'd prefer, and I don't, I don't think our church does this, but put the put the weekly text up on the screen. I don't I don't believe they actually do that. Um, you mean the the the, the text is being preached? That's right. That's correct. I don't. Yeah, we don't typically do that. But the the call to worship and those sorts of things are yeah. definitely on the screen. Yep. Yeah. Um, I, I just think. I, I mean, I still, in previous Bibles that I've owned, I can think of where passages are on the page. Mm-hmm. Like I can think, oh, that yeah. portion of Romans eight that I really love is in the top left corner of that page. There's something visual that stuck with me. Uh, in in reading that, so and not, not just to be clear, I am not against digital Bibles. I use I use the uh, the Crossway app. I use the Logos Bible app. I sometimes use my Olive Tree Bible. So I have them, mm-hmm. but they tend to be more as a convenience of oh, I don't have my Bible with me. I want to look up a verse or you know things like that. So it's it's a convenience, but it's definitely not. Uh, my primary way of engaging scripture. Yeah, and I mean, we would we would both be users of Logos Bible software, generally for for some deep study. Oh, absolutely, deep dive, uh, doing searches like when I would do commentary writing or things like that. Like, yeah, absolutely, I've got Logos open with different. You know, there's a Greek Bible, there's an English Bible, there's re- reference tools, resources, lexicons, that sort of thing. So, I we. I very much use those things, but in terms of um, when I go to church, when I teach, mm-hmm. and even and even when I'm using that software, I still have a print Bible in front of me. I still have my yeah. primary print English Bible and a Greek text in front of me as well. Um, and I just think one of the dangers, if your primary engagement with the Bible is digital, is that it just it just sort of blends into the all the other sort of digital engagements you have with other apps. Well, I I, I think this, uh, this quote captures it well from the article. When the Bible is pressed into the form of a smartphone display, it becomes less of an object of deep reflection and a source of corporate authority and more like everything else on the internet. Yes. Content. Yeah. Content. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So um, – not that, and and I I bring up the fact that you use Logos Bible software not as like a how dare you hypocrite you know sort of, sort of moment but just sort of we're not luddites no, you know we're not. we know, uh, we want to use technology we want to use it appropriately we just want to also reflect on technology has consequences and yeah. and change has consequences and we yeah. need to be honest and reflect about those things and try to use it wisely yeah for sure for sure um. Yeah. Any uh, any other final thoughts on this article? We'll we'll have links to the article on in the show notes as well as the the two books by John Dyer. We mentioned the first one, People of the Screen. The other one that I've actually read is a book he wrote called um, From the Garden to the City: uh, The Place of Technology in the in the Story of God. 
It's a very good biblical theology of technology, uh, very readable, but uh, something that is is worth reading. Um, he's a good thinker, and he he's not on one of those extremes of either all technology is amazing and awesome, we should use it in every conceivable way, or the sort of neo luddite who's like, don't ever don't ever get a phone, yeah. don't ever turn on a computer, kind of thing. So, uh, I think that's helpful. But uh, you ready to move on? Yeah. Time now for This Day in Sports History. Okay, today, March 14th, 2023. Uh, let's see, 1960, Philadelphia. Uh, center Wilt Chamberlain sets the NBA playoff record of 53 points in a Warriors 132-112 win over uh, the Syracuse Nationals at the at the Civic Center. Yeah. Again, little weird little weird to say Warriors for uh, Philadelphia yes. there. Yeah, I mean, and again, it just shows we could probably put a Wilt Chamberlain one on there almost just about every, every week. Every week, yeah. Uh 87 New York Met Daryl Strawberry. Uh God bless Daryl Strawberry. Anyway, uh, <laughs> charges Red Sox pitcher Al Nipper during a spring training exhibition game causes a bench clearing brawl. Yeah, yep, that sounds like the late '80s Mets. Oh yeah, right there. for sure. They had an attitude about them. They absolutely did, um, and weren't always in their right minds. Uh, yes, yeah, sometimes those minds were drug-addled. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Ninety-three, uh, the fortieth ACC men's basketball tournament. Uh, Georgia Tech beats North Car- number one North Carolina 77-75. UNC went on to win the national title, beating the Fraud Five 77-70. I clearly did not make the uh, the notes here <laughs> in the infamous Chris Weber timeout game. Yes, uh, I refuse to refer to them as the as their nickname, the Fab Five. Uh huh. They're the Fraud Five. I think it's interesting that. Today in sports history, Georgia Tech beat North Carolina, but North Carolina went on to beat. <laughs> yes, that's in the, anyway. Yeah, well, uh, I'm just highlighting. See again, when I look through the list of these things, there's a whole bunch of like in the this conference tournament, there was this win. Okay, well that doesn't really mean a lot. But if that team that either won or lost went on to win the national title, yeah. then that's a little bit more significant. And the fact that that team went on to beat the Fraud Five and the Chris Webber calling a timeout game that he didn't have a timeout. Mm-hmm. Did you ever watch the uh, um, 30 for 30? On, 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 I on believe that? I did. It is interesting. It is interesting. Um, there's, a, there's a great 30 for 30 on the 86 Mets. I think I've seen that. Uh, it was real good. Anyway, uh, 2010 – the 57th ACC men's basketball tournament. My goodness, I'm going to think you're an ACC fan with all these ACC. Not really. Uh, uh, number four, Duke beat Georgia Tech 65-6. to six. Yeah, I don't think that's the right score. I think it's <laughs> a little closer than that. 65-60? to 60? Uh, Sure. Maybe? Yeah. Okay, I was about to say, that's a football score. Um, <laughs> uh, Duke went on to win the national title, beating Butler. Sixty-one fifty-nine, when Ga- uh, Gordon Hayward's half-court shot uh, just missed. You remember that game? Absolutely, I do. Yeah, that was that was a fun game, and 
imagine winning the national title on a half course. If that shot had gone in, yeah, it was close. It was very close. Hit the back. Gordon Hayward had a great game. He did. He was he was terrific. Um, Twenty seventeen, uh, the world's oldest golf club, Murfield. <laughs> Muirfield. Muirfield, uh, in Scotland, votes to admit women as members for the first time in 273 years. Bully for them. Yeah. Yeah. Good for Murray Field. <laughs> yeah. You will not endure yourself to our uh, UK listeners. I don't, I don't know that. Well, I we know have we have one. We have some. Yeah. Um, so who do you like out of that? I think we should rule out Wilt Chamberlain. It's getting too much. So I, we're talking – uh, bench clearing brawl in the spring training, uh, Georgia Tech beating UNC or Duke beating uh, Georgia Tech. All right, I guess we could go with the, the golf club as well. Admitting women, Scots women now allowed to play at Muirfield. Yeah, now allowed to play or allowed to become members. Uh, I assume both. Vote to admit women as members. But can you be a member and not play? Yes, I know a golf club in Columbus, Ohio, oh. that women are allowed to play with members but cannot be members. Themselves. But can you be women? Can you be a member and not play? That would be weird to me. Like you're. Oh, 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 yes, I'm sure you can be a member and, and play. Right, I'm saying if you're admitted as a member, you got to be able. To you got to be able to play. Absolutely. Okay. I'm saying. There's a place in Columbus, Ohio. Where women can play but not be members. That's right. As long as they're accompanied by a member. That's right. Okay. That's right. Who do you like? Um, I, I think we got to go with Scotland after we just talked about it so much. Scotland it is. One thing you liked? Uh, I started a new uh, podcast uh, this week. Uh, not recording one, listening uh, okay. to one. Uh, and let me get the title real quick because I am – Going to forget it. Uh, it is The Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling. Oh, I've heard about this. I haven't listened to it, but I've heard about this. I've listened to the first episode in about a half, um, and it kind of chronicles – it's from that the, the free press, that, that new uh, that, uh, that new newspaper that came out from like these uh, more libertarian or conservative New York Times writers okay. have started. And um, – it's about uh, J.K. Rowling and, you know, writing Harry Potter, going through some a, – a lot of right-wing cancellations and then sort of putting out some public opinions and getting a lot of left-wing cancellations and yes. sort of what her life has been like. And she's got a phenomenal story. Like just hearing – the first episode is all about her and how she came to write Harry Potter and, and sort of the events leading up to that is, is incredible. Yeah. Yeah, that did catch my attention. That I sort of put that on my mental – I want to check that out list. Yeah. So excellent. The name of it again is? The Witching Trials of J.K. Rowling. OK. Clever title. The Witch uh, Trials of J.K. Rowling. Excuse me. All right. So uh, I'm going to go with my anniversary this past week. Nice. 27 years of marriage to the lovely Kate. More than she, half your life. She's continued to stay with me even though she has not yet appeared on the podcast. Mm. Which, you know, 
is impressive. Uh, so yeah, just grateful to God for for 27 years of of marriage, and um, we didn't necessarily do anything remarkably big to celebrate. We're kind of waiting more for uh, we're going to be in uh, the UK this summer and kind of saving up for that. To nice. Do some things in the UK, in uh, Edinburgh and uh, in London. So nice. I think in Edinburgh, there's you can go to a there's like a coffee shop or something where uh, J.K. Rowling wrote at least parts of a good chunk of. I think after the first one came out, I think she yeah. was so hounded that yeah. she was no longer able to write. <laughs> probably, probably. So, all right. We have talked about John's uh, health condition, uh, playing hurt. Not cough today, though, during the pod. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. Big we, accomplishment. We have talked some March Madness. Don't forget to sign up for our bracket challenge and the opportunity to win a signed copy of a book that I wrote. We have Signed by you. Signed by me, yes. Not, not by me or some I other I mean, I guess we could have you sign it. It would be – I'd be happy to. Yeah. We have talked about an article on um, digital Bibles and their effect on uh, how evangelicals interact with Scripture. We have talked about the uh, golf club at Muirfield in Scotland admitting women as members. We've talked about J.K. Rowling and a podcast about her being canceled by both the right and then the left and her being uh, none the worse for wear, to be honest. Yeah, she's done well. Yeah. And we've talked about my 27th wedding anniversary. So I think by definition, we have covered our various and sundry topics. And all that's left to say is, until next time, the Lord bless y'all real good. Later. Later.